Hey everyone, here is Daniel Budai with another episode of our Ecom show. And today I'm here with James Gerd, who is the CEO of Digital Juggler. And today's topic will be different e-commerce platforms, how to migrate from one to the other, and uh, how to do it, why to do it, and when to do it. So a lot of questions regarding this topic. So, hey James, it's great to have you here today. Hey Daniel, uh, yeah, thanks for inviting me. Looking forward to it. So before we jump into the details and the technical things, I'm really curious what's your background story and when did you start your business? Um, why did you start what you do nowadays? Yeah. What was your motiv- motivation? Yeah, so like getting into e-commerce was a total accident. I'd like to say that I planned it and I could see the future, uh, but I'd be lying. So basically, I was I did some traveling. I got a bit bored. Um, I was doing work in marketing. I got a bit bored, and I spent six months traveling in in Latin America. Um, I had a bit of digital experience from a previous role because it was it was um, the early two thousands when the internet was starting to grow. People were creating websites, and I thought this looks a bit fun. It's different. When I came back, I managed to talk my way into a home shopping manager role, which was what it used to be called, basically an e commerce manager role for a, a big retailer called Robert Dias. Um, and I just I, I just realized I quite enjoyed it. I, 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 I stumbled into it. I enjoyed working with technology. I liked the fact that it was a new space that was growing rapidly. And actually, it was a bit like a Wild West in those days. Nobody really knew what they were doing. Everyone was just trying to build websites, sell more to customers and work out how it worked. And it, it was also fragmenting. I mean, now we have such a seamless integrated set of technology. In those days, it was here's your website, some people use it, here's your store, it's totally separated. Um, so yeah, I spent time client side, spent a couple of years in agency and I didn't really like the agency model for me, it didn't work for me. I wanted to work more closely and have full up control over what, what was being sold to clients and what we did with them. So I went solo in 2008. Um, it was a bit, a bit of a gamble. I never, I didn't know whether it would work, whether I would get enough business, whether you know people would take me seriously. But thankfully, you know, for 14 years down the line, uh, people haven't found me out yet and I'm, I'm still getting business. So that's good. So I've been an independent consultant since 2008 and Digital Juggler was was launched in 2011 just to give me a formal business. That's amazing. And when did you start this journey? Because you mentioned you started your business in 2008 which is a very, that was an interesting time to start it, I guess, back then. But when did you start uh, out with e-commerce? So that was um, so 2004 when I came back okay. from traveling was when I first got into a specific role. And then by 2008, going into 2009 is when I started to, to, to become an independent consultant. And then 2011 is when I, I incorporated the business um, rather than just me as a freelancer. Yeah. By the way, talking about uh, recession in 2008, so I just had a conversation with our uh, financial team um, before this podcast and they asked me what we expect. This recession affects digital marketing or not really? I'm curious what you think because you've been in this business for a while. Um, Is it an industry that is affected heavily by recessions or not really? um, So... Fundamentally, retail is impacted by recession because there are certain products that people have to buy, like food. So online grocery is protected. 
but there are what we call non-discretionary items you know um, luxury items, for example that we buy when we have the money but if money's tight we don't buy so people people buy fewer clothes you know, they might not buy that new jacket or their new that new shirt because they, they might not be going out as much so you actually find that people reduce spending in certain categories so yes it, it does impact and if retailers are earning less money through online revenue then sometimes that feeds through into lower marketing budget. It also can make them become more aggressive in discounting, which then reduces the margin. So it's it can be very challenging for retailers to 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 hold their nerve and not panic into discounting to try and drive people into yeah. buying. Because the more you give away margin, the less you've got to reinvest, you know, in technology, in marketing. Yeah, I agree. Discounts discounts don't help not just the business, but the whole economy in general. So yeah, yeah, but it really depends on the industry. So luxury items is different than uh, the basic needs. So yeah, it depends on the niche. Yeah, I mean, I've got premium brands at the moment who they have a, a you know probably fifty percent of the customer base are highly affluent, and that spend is not impacted. They're still buying. It's in the homeware space. They're still buying mm-hmm. at the same rate, but they they have a big part of their audience, maybe twenty to thirty percent who are aspirational buyers who like to buy from the brand, but it's a big expense to them because of the price point. And those are the people they're losing because now that we've got a cost of living crisis in the UK and we've got lots of economic pressure, nobody who previously would love to have bought from this brand is uh, of those people with lower money is going to be able to afford to do it. So they're losing that type of purchase. Mm. Yeah, makes sense. So you started a pre-Shopify, right? I I think actually they started in 2004 as well. But I'm really curious how this landscape uh, has changed in the past almost 20 years, the software tools that we use, the platforms. What were the biggest changes? Um, I think think the the biggest change is you had platforms that that basically required lots and lots of hard integrations to systems. So an e-commerce system to an ERP integration used to be exceptionally complex, uh, expensive and time consuming. It had to be lots mm-hmm. of hand coded. Um, there weren't pre-integrated solutions. What's really changed over the years is, number one, the technology has become lower cost of entry to market. So you have the modern software as a service, SaaS platforms like Shopify, Big Commerce, platforms like Centra in Scandinavia, where it's a lower cost of ownership to enter the market. You don't have to spend £200,000 plus to get into a, a decent enterprise e-commerce platform. You can go live on twenty dollars to £30,000. Um, you can spend more, obviously, to get more advanced. Then also the ecosystems have grown and the integrations have grown. So, you know, the Shopify and big commerce world, um, that's where businesses expect to plug in apps and to have one-click installs for a lot of functionality. You know, you want a loyalty program. You don't have to spend £30,000 integrating it you almost literally just plug in the app, turn it on and pay for that um, license for that additional third-party tool. There inevitably is some additional elements of customization for things like front-end design and user interface, but it's way, way quicker and cheaper than it used to be. I think that's the biggest change, is the speed to which people can bring new functionality to market. But that, that doesn't hold true across every platform. There are still some platforms that are, that are a little bit slower to develop on, but I think overall, you'd say that the pace of, of launching things is far quicker now. I don't yeah. know what, you, what you've experienced. What's yeah, your- same. I mean, I've been in this industry for five years, so I, you know, you have much more experience, but I, I really agree. So the entry barrier is really low now, and uh, especially with Shopify. So 
I think the SaaS business model helped a lot of people who wants to start a business nowadays in e-commerce. I can see the enterprise level less. We don't have those type of clients. So, uh, but I know, uh, you know, different tools like Magento or maybe Commerce Cloud. I think Nike uses uh, Commerce Cloud so or custom coded websites. Yeah, there are still custom coded websites, by the way. So it's still a thing. Yeah. So my next question is what trends do you expect to emerge or what trends you can see recently? Uh, in general, e-commerce or specific to the technology? Yeah, I'm, I'm both, but let's focus on the technology, on the platforms. Um, so I think there's the key thing that's happened is, is modern platforms I say modern, relatively modern, the likes of Shopify's big commerces, um, Centra, you know, even the likes of Shopware with their new version six have moved to API first platforms. So mm -hmm. they've opened up the, the data models and the logic so that you, you, you can basically use them with you know, your own CMS front end or your own custom front end. And you're not constrained by the, the templating engines and how those platforms work. You can create your custom experiences across different channels. You, know, you could create a custom front end for use and install digital um, kiosk versus your um, website versus your app. So I think that's that's one of the key changes is helping developers be able to use the, the underlying application in the way they want to create the experiences the business needs for its customers. Mm. That's very different to where platforms like um, what's now SAP Hybris, what was Demarware is now Salesforce Commerce Cloud, what was Magento that's now Adobe Commerce, you know, IBM website that's been bought out by XCL. Those platforms, those are the big legacy platforms in the market. That's not how they started. And increasingly, they're having to shift, um, you know, with Adobe when it launched, um, you know, Magento went to mm -hmm. Magento 2, really strong sets of APIs. They, um, Salesforce Commerce Cloud has, has, has moved towards that to allow people, if they want to, use it headlessly. So they're not built as headless platforms, but they've opened up the API capability. I think that's the biggest change because then people turn around and go, do you know what? An e-commerce platform, what, what is the purpose of it? I was having this conversation with a, a premium client I'm working with at the moment when they're looking at selecting a new platform. And I said, let's be very careful. What, what do you need the e-commerce platform to do? Uh, it's not an order management system. It doesn't need to do that anymore. Um, yeah. uh, does it need to, to, to do CRM? Well, no, because that's what's... So the e-commerce platform in many businesses now is shrinking its responsibility. Whereas before it used to try and do not so much yeah. people built on top of it. And then the maintenance and complexity of, of that, that was much higher than, than if you just use it for what it's intended for. Yeah, I think that's a good point. Now, nowadays, they really try to be the e-commerce platform and many platforms, they have partners, integrations or apps like Shopify, yeah. for example, or WooCommerce, they have apps and those apps uh, are also very niche down. So everyone is just niche down nowadays and specialized. And yeah. uh, that's how they solve it instead of trying to doing everything. Yeah, and it, it requires a, a, a mindset shift in e-commerce teams and retailers to, to because mm -hmm. if you go, people who've been in the industry for a long time or have been in retail for a long time are used to big system. And then all of a sudden it's, well, hang on a minute, we've got a different architecture now. And we, I've been going through this process with big commerce with a client and they're on an old um, Magento installation. And actually the capability in big commerce can be achieved and give the business exactly what it wants, but it's done in a very different way. And it as you said, it requires these additional third parties 
and it's this best in class thing of i've got a specialist crm a specialist search and merchandising tool a specialist loyalty yeah. and program app um i've got a specialist b2b app and they're all pre-integrated into the big commerce platform but they're delivered by a third party and it does take a mindset shift to go okay yeah. that's not risk creating risk for my business it's just doing things differently yeah but you can still pay through shopify payment so they get the revenue from it on shopify yeah well it depends i mean this is the thing the, the great the great thing with shopify is that it has pay i mean this this is depending on 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 what you want as a business shopify can have an advantage over like big commerce for example because it's got shopify payments which is built on stripe um and it gives you a great payment gateway but um then you've got the limitations that come with which countries um can you use shopify payments in based on your your yeah. registration therefore there are some international limitations if you don't use shopify payments you pay a surcharge uh, on your transaction <laughs> fee so you have to think all of these platforms we all know they have pros and cons and you just have to think very carefully about what what you want to pay for and what you don't yeah yeah let's uh, talk about the platforms themselves so what do you think what are the pros and cons of shopify for example let's start with that platform um okay so i think the the, the biggest thing is that it's faster to, to launch on and typically the, yeah. the project from a business point of view in terms of um going through like detailed discovery and technical specifications are lighter and therefore they feel less onerous for business teams it seems to be a bit quicker through things like the discovery phase um it's got a lot of baked in functionality there's so many apps in the ecosystem that you can chop and change quickly so if you could launch light with a simple app let's say for example a wish list you could launch with a very basic wish list you can then step it up in phase two after launch and improve on the functionality by going to a more sophisticated app it's very easy to chop and change the um with that though comes the responsibility required to to not just chuck a load of apps in that you haven't researched properly that could not give you the best customer experience so it does create a bit of effort to to, to go through that app, app ecosystem and, and know which one's right for you but i think it's just that agility and the speed of movement people are used to roadmaps where the business says i want a loyalty program and they're told it's it's nine months time versus i want a loyalty program okay i'm going to use loyalty lines smile whichever one it is okay yeah. there's a pre-integrated app i can get the i can get 50 of what i want up and running within a week or two uh, and the, the speed of movement for e-commerce teams to have that is is refreshing yeah let's talk about yeah i'm checking my list actually so let's talk about woocommerce i think uh I think we should discuss WooCommerce as well because I think that's still the most uh, commonly used one actually. Uh, many smaller merchants, most of them they are small, they use WooCommerce. Yeah, I think it I think simply because um it is the the commerce plugin for WordPress and WordPress is still one of the most used um CMSs yeah. around the world and lots of people start on a content site and then they they plug in commerce on top and if they're on wordpress woo is the path of least resistance um because it's basically a plugin that you add in um I, i'm i'm not going to pretend to be an expert i've not worked with woocommerce um for a long long time because none of my clients um evaluating and have it on their radar uh, simply because yeah. they're not looking for an open source I mean, it's open source like magento that has an advantage but you typically need more developer and web ops resource to 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 build it get it up and running um you know some not all businesses want to go down that route um yeah so yeah it's hard for me to speak with authority and i do know 
I have somebody in my network who I use if um, clients want to get advice on it because he is a specialist. Sure. Makes sense. So let's talk about uh, those tools, which are, I think, bigger, uh, usually bigger businesses, they use this. So Magento, which is actually now Adobe e-commerce cloud, I think that's the new name, right? Or that's the enterprise level. Yeah, there's there's Adobe Commerce and there's Commerce Cloud, which is their their hosted SaaS version. You either take it on-premise as Commerce or you get the, the hosted, fully managed version, which they call Platform as a Service, which is Commerce Cloud. So, so much terminology in this industry. It's hilarious. Yeah, that is sound. Yeah. So let's talk about, uh, yeah, Magento. And yeah. then I will touch a few more, more enterprise level tools as well. Uh, okay. So I, I, I am actually quite a fan of Magento. It's very much maligned. And I think because the move from one to two annoyed a lot of people because it wasn't an upgrade. It was a whole new migration it brought complexity and there was a lot of issues with 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 the early versions of two lots of stability performance issues so a lot of people burn a lot of money on it and that's put people off if you move past that to where Magento, where what is now adobe commerce what was what was magento 2 is now it's a, it's a good functioning product they've definitely slowed down their roadmap i i, I understand from adobe they're starting to ramp their roadmap back up but their release cycle has been much slower than the likes of big commerce um, and Shopify in recent years. And that's made some merchants decide that actually they don't they don't like that. It's not as active an ecosystem, but it still has a huge developer pool. It's still got loads and loads of agencies. And, and what I like about it is there are some smart agencies out there who've built their own solution around there to mm-hmm. one of the criticisms of Magento is the amount of money you spend on support and maintenance, just keeping the lights on rather than enhancements and people get a bit disheartened they spend you know two thousand pound a month just to keep it working they're doing all the patches and fixes and upgrades but there are some smart agencies out there like tom and co i've worked with who have built a headless solution on top of magento which removes some of those challenges and also helps to improve the performance the core performance of it so i think i think it's good it it suits a couple of use cases it's very strong on b2b it's got really good native b2b functionality for account management um invoicing uh, you know uh, custom pricing custom catalogs quote management etc i've got a few businesses who are b2c and b2b and they liked adobe because of that um Mm -hmm. um it's got yeah it's got platforms like big commerce are strong on b2b but they use it through apps like jmango or bundle b2b rather than it's all all built into the platform and i know with big commerce at the moment their core bundle b2b which they bought into the platform isn't doesn't isn't compatible with their multiple storefront solution yet so that's when you see lots of an adobe if somebody just wants simplicity they look and go oh it's all in there i get it so i i think that and adobe and salesforce commerce cloud suit people who want to have a deeper core set of capabilities and don't want to be reliant on lots of third parties. And I just heard that actually Magento is free, right? Uh, to get started with. Yeah, the community version, the open source. Yes. Yeah, so you've got you've got open source, but um, it's no longer fully supported. So you're not going to get loads of additional mm. um, functionality. It's you developers yeah. can use it. They can build on it. They can add additional functionality because it's open source. But it's not like, for example, big commerce and Shopify with their core versions. The updates mm-hmm. are available um, apart from certain functionality. It's only on the enterprise packages. So they're constantly developing the, the, the product. Yeah. Um, a lot of people who want to get advanced e-commerce functionality, whether it's around merchandising capability, 
um, you know, things like the B2B, um, et cetera, uh, or, or, you know, stronger admin controls will be using the, the licensed version. Yeah. And uh, finally, let's talk about, actually, I want to discuss two more. One is big commerce. You just started talking about it. So what do you think was, in what cases someone should use big commerce? You mentioned B2B e-commerce. I know they are really good with high number of SKUs as well to manage yeah. that. So any other use cases? Yeah, they're, 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 product catalog management is good in big commerce. They, you can have a, a, a large number of um, uh, product attributes and variants. So that if you have you know, a master product, which has hundreds and hundreds of child SKUs, that's very easy to set up. There, there aren't as many limitations as in Shopify, but there are workarounds in, in platforms like Shopify. Mm -hmm. Um, it's good at product configurators. So there's a great example of Marucci Sports in the US, which is, like, I think, baseball and maybe basketball um, merchandise. So like baseball bats, baseball gloves. Mm. And they've got a really complex um, um, build your own where on a baseball glove, there's about 40 different elements you can customize, including like personalization, changing colors okay. and strips and fabrics. Um, and the big commerce underlying product data model is very flexible for enabling you to do that. Um, that, I think that's that stuff where Shopify is not as strong natively. You can do it, but you have to like build the additional functionality and enhance Shopify on top of it. Mm -hmm. um, so yeah, so it, it, it's good. And the multiple storefront that it that was announced, the major new release that was announced earlier this year, has has improved it. Yeah, it's got multi-level inventory now on single storefront. So if you want to have like, um, uh, you know the the um, click and collect or endless aisle thing, where you might have five stores and you want that stock to be available so that on the website, if the web pool is empty, you can draw from that stock. Um, it's adding adding in those capabilities, so it's it's getting stronger. It's still not one hundred percent comparable with like a Magento or Salesforce. Their multi store front natively is stronger in terms of things like support and all like that trans um, you know, translations and um, uh, etc. But um, but it's yeah, it's really good and it's getting it's getting stronger and it's a core focus for them. Yeah. When you when you are saying that uh, it supports uh, you know multi stores or you know you can do five if you want, so is it the same domain or different domains? How should we imagine that? Yeah, so this is this is one of the the considerations of big commerce that not everyone um, wants to go down the route of. Natively, it, it um, for multiple um, storefronts like you've got a UK master site, then a French, a German, a North American. It doesn't support subfolders. So mysite.com forward slash fr forward slash us etc. Uh, it only supports subdomains or top level country domains but you can't always have a, a cctld in every country because there are some limitations some countries you have to be registered for business in there to get okay. that domain like australia for example so for some people who've got an existing subfolder structure they can't replicate it on big commerce for their international and that then obviously that creates challenges because it creates a potential seo impact um it creates added complexity and migrations for things like redirect management and mapping so for some people that gets a bit of a put off it can be solved but you need to use big commerce headlessly and in a headless scenario you can control the url structure so again you know it's not that it can't be done it's just that it has to be done differently and that means yeah. people need to accept those changes makes sense and the last platform i want to mention is salesforce uh it's called commerce cloud i think so 
Do you have experience with this one? What do you think? Uh, I think Nike.com they use, for example, these two. Yeah, there's quite a few big brands. I think Revolution Beauty, which is a big beauty company, do it as well. So they've got they've got really big brands on them. It, I, it seems to suit big organizations, big brands with deep pockets mm-hmm. and big budgets who want a, um, a globally recognized um, platform, but one that has a, a fuller suite of services that they can plug into over time. So very much like Adobe, they've got their their like creative suite. They've got their, um, the CRM capability, they've got all the mm-hmm. management. So you and all of those are pre-integrated now into the wider Salesforce um, cloud. So that that helps some businesses who, from an IT procurement perspective, do not want to have to have relationships, contracts with like 15 different suppliers, yeah. um, to give the way that their global procurement works. So I, th- I think that that often suits, the, yeah, like you said, big brands like Nike. It, as a platform, is it good? Yes, it's got great capability. The back-end user interface is still outdated compared with modern platforms. It's still, last time I looked at it, it might have changed in the last 12 months. Um, I doubt it because um, it still very, looks a lot like what DemandWare used to look like, which is a very old admin interface. And modern merchandising and trading teams are used to um, simpler interfaces like the Shopify's and big commerce mm-hmm. and prefer them. And, and the the other thing that is is just a reality, it's more expensive. They have yeah, their, sure. their SME version. You know, they are definitely more flexible on their licensing fees these days to help smaller brands get on it. But the cost of maintaining um, that site and, and you know, updating and enhancement is more expensive. It just is. I've never seen a project where it comes out cheaper than the alternative. Now, that doesn't mean cost is the only decision. But for, for a lot of businesses, that additional you know, ongoing um, cost of getting things done puts them off. Yeah, I think uh, especially big companies, if they already use other uh, Salesforce, Salesforce products, then it's a good step for them to, you know, add this uh, to their company as well. And just wondering, so Salesforce, they bought up a company and they just integrated it into Salesforce or is their own, yeah. this is their own, uh, you know, platform that they built from scratch or... No, they didn't put up. So basically, they bought out Demandware. So go back a few years, maybe five or six years. There was a big consolidation. SAP bought Hybris. Hybris was a a a um a, a leading market player. Yeah, Salesforce sorry bought Demandware. Adobe bought Magento. HCL bought IBM WebSphere. So all of these big companies consumed it to because they didn't have commerce core commerce engine in their product suite and they wanted to create this enterprise suite that could tick you've you've got okay you've got retail you've got um you need creative marketing suite you've got crm you need you've got e-commerce well actually we can bundle it for you and you can have all of that and therefore you're using the same underlying data model which gives you some efficiencies in terms of executing like uh, you know omni-channel campaigns for example Mm. yeah yeah okay um Let's talk about replatforming and my so migration. Um, what are the most common uh, migrations you can see? What what are the most common directions? As in why pe- what drives people to do it? Basically, why you need to? Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, I think I think sometimes people do it because they're frustrated with their technology, and that's the wrong wrong reason. Mm-hmm. Um, because sometimes it, the technology um, is not the issue; it's the implementation. And I think this, I always say, to, but whenever I go into a project, people say we want to replatform. The first thing I ask is why, what are the issues? And then are the issues technology related or are they business process related or implementation related? Because mm-hmm. you can sometimes have the right platform, but the wrong solution. 
uh, and you can save a lot of money by just getting the solution right rather than going through an entire change management process. Yeah. But uh, the most common reasons I see, number one is the total cost of ownership, the TCO, is prohibitive and unsustainable. So it's taken up too high a percentage of their GMV. Like some places I've seen it, like eight, eight to ten percent of GMV is up on the platform cost, wow. which is crazy. Um, yeah. It should be below two percent. When you go through a new migration and build year one is always higher of course because you've got the development cost but your ongoing should be below two percent then it's the next one is it's really slow to develop um and then time to market for updates and new features is is poor and by the time you get them live the market's moved on competitors are ahead of you so people who want to like launch for example a loyalty program and they've got an old version of a platform um i've seen this on old magento versions where actually the to upgrade uh, to integrate and then to do all of the the um the uh the testing um and making sure that it's working and is compatible with all of the modules that have been added in to that old version it takes so much extra time and it adds like you know maybe five to ten k cost to that which makes the 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 business case harder to, to validate so some people just want to flip that on its head and go I just want to pay a monthly license fee and I don't want to have to worry about support and maintenance, all of that stuff. I want it all done for me. I just want to trade. I want to build features. Then related to that is the maintenance patches and upgrades where you have on um, the legacy platforms, the likes of the Salesforce's, the um, uh, uh, Adobe's, when you're not on a cloud version, you're on like on-premise versions essentially mm. adobe adobe just had a recent um big upgrade 2.4 um it, because of php changes that wasn't just a quick ego for a lot of businesses who've taken because a lot of people take a product like an adobe and on the open source and extend it and customize it and then you get an upgrade and then the backwards compatibility with some of the customization you've done doesn't work and you have to then go back and change some of the code there as well some people have been quoted like 30 to 50k just to upgrade to the new version you go to a big commerce shopify you're not paying 30 to 50k for an upgrade it's just done seamlessly um you know, behind the scenes for you there might be a few little tweaks that need to be made to your to um you know your um your version of it with your agency if you've built some apps on top of it but it's nowhere near as expensive and time consuming so that often makes gets people fed up and they go i don't want to spend that money anymore then there are other platforms that are legacy ones that are proprietary that uh, aren't keeping up with the market as well because they don't have the same release cadence. There are lots of platforms out there um, that um, you know are not like the Shopify's and big commerces and Adobe's of this world. The smaller platforms that, that suits specific business cases like the Evolutions out there. That, you know they're good. They're good platforms and they do a good job for their customers, but they don't suit everybody. No platform does. And there are others that are like black boxes. So you've got all-in-one packages like um, THG Ingenuity using its platform it's used for its own brands. And it's a managed service. And that suits some businesses who don't have the resource and want it all done for them, traded, the order management, you know, the warehousing. But then you don't have the control. And then the biz, some businesses evolve to the point where they, they build out their own e-commerce e teams. They want greater control. And the people coming in who are specialists don't want to have to brief email and crm campaigns into a team within a provider they want to manage it themselves they might want to choose a different esp they might want to move to an ametria for example um, or they might want to use ambience for cms and they can't because it's a black box and then that the business suddenly changes its demands and that platform is no longer fit for purpose doesn't mean the platform's not good it just means it doesn't fit the business model anymore yeah 
makes sense. And uh, yeah, so timeline and cost. You mentioned some uh, typical expenses, some outrageous prices as well, I think, for some companies. But let's talk about probably more about timelines. So what is realistic there? Because um, one thing that um, I have a mentor, he's an older uh, uh, ex-agency owner. And uh, he told me that because back then I was thinking about uh, starting a service for Shopify development or some kind of e-commerce platform development. And we are a marketing agency and what we do. And what he told me, the one big difference between marketing and development is the timeline. So marketers, they usually, they are fast. I mean, you know, if there is an ad uh, and it doesn't convert, we have to shut down the end in few hours development is something different like sometimes it takes months so what's the typical timeline there because maybe there are some business owners out there who are overly optimistic about this <laughs> um yeah I, I think that's a really good point about being overly optimistic and it so this is a hard one to give a fixed um answer on because it, it does depend and i'll qualify that um it depends on what scope you need to achieve for your launch mm -hmm. so we talk we're, in the industry as consultants, we talk a lot about MVP, minimum viable product. This yeah. is what is the what's the the least that you are willing to go live with that will give you a functioning platform that gives a good enough customer experience and gives the business the tools it needs to trade effectively. Because you if you try and do everything the business wants, your project keeps the scope just creeps and creeps. The launch date goes further and further. The cost goes up and up and up, and you're not managing it effectively. So good project management is define the scope, agree the scope. That gives us a target launch day, and then we manage any changes through a change management program in the project. We might then accept a slightly delayed launch if we believe the added functionality is so important. With that in mind, if you, are, if you have a simple business model, you've got a single storefront, you've got a small product catalogue, um, and you don't have loads of additional functionality you want to add in, like, you know, integrating, um, you know, uh, live chat, clientele, loyalty programs. And, you know, you, you don't have any big integrations. You don't have an ERP, for example. Um, then actually you could launch. There's no reason you can't launch in four to eight weeks. So on Shopify and BigCommerce, and I know there'll be other platforms where people have done it, you know, during during um, the pandemic, there were stores launching in four to eight weeks. Mm -hmm. So you, you need, you have to, that's just the development cycle to get to get it built, to get it um, UAT tested, to get it live and you're ready, you're in production. What you've got to think about before that is you've got to spend some time doing your definition of what the requirements are, what that scope is, and finding the agency who can deliver on that and give you a cost that you're happy with so that you know what the scope of deliverables yeah. are. And you have to have the scope of deliverables because otherwise when an agency hands you over a site to test, how do you test it if you don't know what? they're meant to deliver so you need to spend time and, and typically that process can take anything from one to three months depending on how detailed it is because you've got mm. to properly assess select so that's a bit i think people underestimate they 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 think oh we can go live in three months it's like add the time to do the selection piece requirements gathering prioritization scoping um, agency brief agency evaluation agency contracts and negotiation you know that getting that done um in less than three months without rushing it is challenging yeah makes sense so it's project management mostly right but also yes. you mentioned scoping all of these because i think so many people they just think that 
you know, developing a website is just literally coding. It's a bit similar to copywriting, by the way. Uh, copywriters, they say that good copywriting is based on research and the research takes much more time than actually writing the copy. Yeah. So I think that's a big uh, thing to clarify. And I guess that's another common problem that many business owners, as you said, they want everything at the same time. They want the live chat feature. They want maybe search box, something else, but they don't really know what's the MVP, like what's the main thing here. But yes. actually, if they uh, if they knew that, then it would help them a lot to uh, yeah. go faster. So, yeah, these are yeah, project management is one of the most underrated skills uh, in in and uh, investments. It's seen as a cost mm. rather than a, a value. And yeah. it's a value because these projects, you'll know if a project, these projects are complex, technology and people um, cause complexity and it needs to be managed and someone has to be in control of decisions and the impact those decisions have on the project. And if you rush into it without having thought through what project discipline you need, it creates chaos. I've seen so many sub projects where people have said, no, we don't need a project manager. And then mm -hmm. two months down the line, they're in a just a fug of inefficiency because they haven't made effective decisions and they haven't planned and people's diaries haven't been booked and people aren't available. And you think you could have solved that if you put a bit of money and time into it. Yeah, yeah, I, I agree. I have one more question to you. So what would be your number one advice for uh, e-commerce entrepreneurs now in 2022? Oh, gosh, that's, yeah, that the million-dollar question, basically. <laughs> I think... Um, so I think I've got two, I'm going to cheat. I've got two bits of advice. The first one on the replatforming side is, is don't take what is told to you about technology at face value. If somebody says, yes, it can, yes, we do it. Don't look at the what, look at the how. The most important thing is understanding how technology is, uh, um, achieves your business requirement, not that it can. It might be able to do it, but it might do it in a way that's going to really annoy your teams with a really complicated process, or it doesn't fit into your current process, or it won't fit with an existing tool that you're using. So you've got to really scrutinize the why, get past the yes, the what, and the box ticking, and get into getting people to validate how they'll make it work for you. That's, that's on the technology side. Mm -hmm. On the e-commerce management side, it's really pay attention to your customers and make sure you have a customer experience metric as one of your KPIs. A lot of businesses focus too heavily on revenue-based KPIs and not on the experience side. And we all know that good experience helps support revenue KPIs. So NPS or Net Promoter Score is, is the one that's commonly used. It's brilliant. Um, there, there's some... Yeah, if people are, aren't using NPS surveys, you know, some of the um, um, there are some tools out there people might be using for like site monitoring that have an NPS module in it. Um, I know tools, I think like Klaviyo, for example, people have for like for email marketing and flows have a capability there. There's specialist platforms like Satellitics that do it. And what NPS does is enable you at point of purchase online, based on your experience today, how likely would you recommend us? Then also X weeks later, after the product has been delivered and the customer will have used the product, follow it back up by email, um, even integrate with your SMS to push out messages to get people into the survey and then take a second measure of it and, and look at the two and change how you communicate with customers based on it. If you have a customer who's moved from a nine out of 10 to a three out of 10 after delivery, don't start sending them sales emails, fix the problem, find out what the issues. Uh, equally, if the customer is absolutely delighted do things like encourage them into your loyalty program or encourage them to leave a rating yeah. 
review, you know, find, find ways to measure customer experience, basically, and then change the behavior to your customers based on whether they're happy or sad. Yeah, I think that's a great point. And actually, that's what we do with my company. We focus on retention marketing. And I think every e-commerce business, they have to make sure that they measure these things. They don't just focus on revenue, but yeah. they don't just measure it, but they uh, do certain actions based on that. So as you mentioned, if they are delighted, then you can refer them to your loyalty program. If they are not delighted, then uh, you can contact them with your support. So make yeah. sure you do something about it because, uh, you know, otherwise the data, it's, it's just data. So, yeah, you have to do things based on that. Um, thank you, James. Uh, it was really great to talk to you today. It was a very insightful conversation. And thanks everyone who listened to us today. And uh, if you like this episode, then make sure you leave us a review on the podcasting platforms and subscribe on our YouTube channel as well. Every week we come out with a new episode, so stay tuned. Thanks again. Thank you.